And now, Hollywood Prospectus. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Hold your applause. Shia. Hello and welcome to the Hollywood Perspectives Podcast. My name is Chris Ryan. I am a writer for Grantland.com and on the other line, he just took a spritz of that Banaka Pure Molly Spray. It's Andy Greenwald! How much better would your life be if you had that in your pocket at all times? Um, I think my brain chemistry might be a little bit tweaked there, buddy. I'm not asking you to think long term. I'm just thinking, like, <laughs> what if you were that dude who was just walking around in the street and you saw someone having a bad day and you gave him a little spritz uh, pick me up? We, we tried to walk away from True Detective, but it just, just brought us back in. Andy swapped in for me and did the recap this week, so we're going to chat a little bit about True D first. We are going to check in on Mr. Robot, which has become our uh, sort of flagship show. And we might talk about uh, Andy's trip to the movies where he saw Trainwreck, which I, I obviously also saw because... Uh, I'm I'm without without child and can go to the films whenever I want. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 basically sounds like MDMA spray to me. Like yeah. that sounds like what life would be like to be without child. <laughs> no, just like go to the movies whenever you want in the right. middle of the day to see you an American motion picture. Uh, Andy, I got the text message from you yesterday, which is I can't believe you tapped out on this thing during the orgy episode. So I knew that I, I made the knew- right decision. I thought you did it on purpose because you needed you needed a blow. You needed a breather. Yeah, just, just like just like all the men who went to that party, you needed a blow. And I'm the guy. I'm I am yeah. happy. I, there's no risk of of Wally pipping you here because this is your show. You've been writing such great pieces about it week after week, and I felt a little pressure to step in. And I felt some mild annoyance at having to sit and watch it and take notes. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Um, you take notes. <laughs> well, we have different processes. Yeah. You know? Um. This was the orgy app, big yeah. orgy app. This is the one people people. I, I, I don't really have the language. I was going to say people were excited for it. Just I don't I, know if that's it, this isn't just Andy and I don't just have Google alerts for orgies. Um, uh, um, it, not collectively, yeah, but individually. It's that I do. Earlier in the year, when True Detective Two was filming, and I it was under it, top secret lock and key. Yeah, except th- this somehow, this tidbit somehow escaped the set that there was right, going there to was, be it, it, it an orgy the, scene. I believe they may have hired some adult film actresses to appear in this in the scene yes and and so this was at a time when there was no other knowledge about the show and everyone this was also at a time when people were curious about what's going on yeah. in the show yeah yeah i think something that has changed radically over the last six <laughs> weeks um and so it seemed actually like the ultimate troll move because you know there was a lot of criticism against our man nick p in the first season um perhaps questioning his uh, characterization of women on the show yeah and then we found out for the second season he was doubling down on whatever criticism by trucking in porn stars to northern california to film a fully nude orgy scene yes but it was we were told it was tasteful it was and you know it, it, it transcends even the even even casual true detective fans were interested last night for instance my girlfriend walked in from uh outside and made herself a tequila and pomplamoose soda and said did i miss the orgy First of all, again, this sounds delightful. I assume that you really are just popping mollies all the time out there. That no. sounds like a lot of fun. No, no, she was uh, just having a nightcap. Was she excited? Disappointed? How did how did she feel? She, about she just skipped it when I said no. They're building up to it. She was like, "I'll be in the other room." So um, she she prefers more of an impromptu orgy. Yeah, right. Uh, and uh, you know this this episode, like every episode this season, I thought. Um, you know, you you were very measured in your criticisms and your praise last night or today, rather, in your piece. Um, I, I thought there was good stuff in there. I think they're leaving a lot of stuff on the table. I think they're spending way too much time doing um, 
on Vince Vaughn, and on Vince Vaughn, frankly, like at this point, I just I just don't know why let, that guy let, goes out and is like, "Did your dad teach you how to have a catch against the wall?" Like, well, if he's let, having a catch against the wall, did his dad need to teach him that? Let's let's go there for a minute. Let's talk about what I think. Um, I feel like it's probably the great failure of the season so far. And I say this: let let let's foreground that, that we did like a bunch of things, and we'll talk about that. Sure. But. The Vince Vaughn character, the Vince Vaughn performance has been a pretty big miss. And I think that that was clear, more clear than ever last night when it was revealed that the emotional fulcrum on which Frank Simeon uh, pivots (laughs) is his deep, deep love, admiration, respect for Stan. Yeah, Stan. Now... Should we have a moment of silence for Stan? Should I just pet the bird for Stan? Yeah, pet the bird for Stan. Dark, dark wings, little bird. dark worlds. We didn't know who you were. <laughs> no. I couldn't pick you out of a lineup, even though I write about this show. But you sure are the most important thing that's happened to most of the characters. <laughs> Let's just say, if you don't know who Stan is by episode six, congratulations. You're watching True Detective season two. <laughs> because there was a... I googled who is Stan on True Detective season two. Yeah. And thank God the website Pajiba which I've never said out loud, and it feels fantastic to say it, Yeah, ran an article three weeks ago, and the name of the article, great SEO here, guys, who the hell is Stan on True Detective Season 2? Yeah. And I guess Stan was there in the beginning of the season. He had a beard, and then he got got. Yeah. And now everyone's really sad about uh, yeah, it. Yeah, so I had thought Stan was the guy at the construction site who Vince Vaughn had first tried to change the parameters of the deal on it's been a hallmark of his character's (laughs) behavior is making a deal and then changing his mind about the deal and going i need 25 percent." and then he's really bad at deal making because last night he gave the santa muerte guys you guys can have just deal drugs all thursday friday saturday our club drug peak season that's like july 4th in the cape you know? Yeah, no, that, that's like saying the Fire Island Ferries on 4th of July weekend, Thursday and Monday are free. Yeah, exactly. That's a reference that I think is really relatable to a lot of our audience, but I know that's you got true. it. Um, but anyway, but, let, let's talk about that deal. So, was, yeah, like there's... Deal with, first of all, you're being kind to Frank Semyon and his criminal cartel. <laughs> he doesn't refer to them as the Santa Muerte guys, which would be a cool thing to call them. He that's calls it. them the Mexicans. Right, exactly, right. He's having a Mexican standoff with some Mexicans. That's a classic true detective joke right there. Um, but... His deal was like, I'm not going to have a deal with you. And then his second deal was, okay, do whatever you want. Yeah, you guys can have my club. Um, But the reason I bring this up is that I had thought I knew who Stan was, and I did not. And then I was like, well, there can't possibly be that much more Stan in this season. And I was wrong. And then last night, Kelly Riley and Vince Vaughn inexplicably sit down with some woman and give her an envelope of cash. And I'm like, that can't be Stan's wife because yeah. we have never heard about her before no, I know, I know. or her son or Stan's family. But do you remember what Kelly Riley says to him, to her? She says, don't worry, that's all Stan's. <laughs> that's that like the extent of his 401k? They were like classic the Stan right now. The rest got completely liquidated when we bungled this <laughs> central rail yeah. deal and gave our drug dealing money to a Mexican but, cartel but for no charge. Just, but wasn't it just like Stan to put $9,000 in slightly marked fives into a manila envelope and write <laughs> yeah. for wife on it in crayon? Joyce! Or how about what his wife is like? His wife is like, the thing about Stan, and I know you know this, Frank. Stan was such a good dad. This goes out to everybody watching, because I know that we're all Stan fans deep down. 
We're stand um, stands. It's Goodbye. great. It's great. I just love that that's like what they've decided. And then like the scene with the kid is like, I know it's supposed to be about Vince Vaughn's, you know, the the the, the roadblocks that have been in Vince Vaughn's way to having a baby. Um which has been so fascinating. Uh, <laughs> can, can I just make one? Can I? Can I just make one last suggestion to the universe before we leave this? Spritz the banaka. Come on. Do you know how? <laughs> you know, Chris. You and I sometimes talk about and write about a, a show called Game of Thrones. Yeah, 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 yeah. And a lot of people engage with Game of Thrones. There's a second screen experience where, like, if you follow along on HBO Go, whatever the website, maybe it'll explain who some of the characters are. Um, they've done some like web series things. There's been a lot of talk from the fan base that they would love it if they could at least like animate some backstory some of the legends that we've heard so what i'm saying is screw that don't listen to game of thrones fans we don't need that from them they're 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 fine we're fine yeah what we need is the ballad of stan (laughs) it's like a 10 episode web series and i want it to get deep i want to talk about how stan maybe got a division two-way football scholarship you know but he blew out his knee and then he discovered a creative (laughs) writing class Can you imagine this? And you got really into like Bernard Malamud and like maybe 20th Century Masters and you thought he could write short stories and he went to California, but his screenplay didn't. Like this could really happen. Here's the thing is that a guy who's as in touch with his feelings as Vince Vaughn seems to be, or at least as in touch with stains on the ceiling as Vince Vaughn seems to be. Mm. I loved how he like was just partying, just giving that kid some real hard wisdom, but skipped over the fact that your dad's dead because I suck at being a gangster. (laughs) You know, didn't mention that part. It wasn't like... Has anybody brought that up that Stan is definitely dead because Vince Vaughn like yeah. screwed up six ways to Sunday? He did a terrible job. Yeah. Like if he's if he just took a minute to stop his fixation on gold is weird because he likes ripping it out of the mouths of people he fights with. Yeah. But then says that inside of his this kid's father's corpse is gold. Is just, is Pure just gold. gold. Nobody says Pure that. Gold. So there's that. Look, and there's scenes yeah, like that. Yeah. And there's storylines like that. And then you know, and I think that really overall, like the pacing and the the tone of the show has just gotten to the point where there's just no electricity, even when Colin Farrell turns on the full Hoover experience of two eight balls and a bottle of Cuervo and two packs of American spirits and whatever like off brand 1979 punk song he was listening to and beats up the air. And beats up some model planes and bikes and then calls his ex-wife. Like, that should be such an electric scene. This, and it's, this, like, good, but it's just, it's coming at such, like, it's like as if, it's like a little bit of a wave on completely flat water. That's exactly right. I, this is a guy who, as we know, he's told us himself, he likes to get wet on occasion. Yeah. This was him taking a sledgehammer to a fire hydrant on a hot summer day. Sure. And just dousing yeah. himself. And but But this is where... The we've talked about this before, but the inconsistency of the tone and direction of the show really hurt it. Because if the show had 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 demonstrated even the slightest hint of visual wit at any point, something like this could have really had an impact. You know, I this this sequence in and of itself was fine. I mean, it was kind of cool. It was fun. Like, I mean, it was very disturbing. Yeah. But it was also, um, you know, the part where he's clawing at his chest trying to stop well, his heart thing. from beating out of it. I thought he was going to die of heart attack scene. right there. And I was like, if they kill Colin Farrell because he has a heart attack because he just did two eight balls, thumbs up. Because that would be like, yeah. that would be brave and weird and crazy but true because you you can kill yourself by doing that. He Especially if to be you indulgent. are not maybe a good a guy who pays a lot of attention to cardio. Like no, Colin Farrell, yeah. he doesn't yeah. do a lot of core work. <laughs> no, this, this area is no. ignored. He's not. He's not on the elliptical. Uh, 
I think that I'm missing, trying to think of some stuff that I liked. Oh, here's something I thought was kind of interesting. The orgy scene. Uh, when she's walking around and she starts having these flashbacks to her Bob yeah. from Twin Peaks character. Thank which you for saying that. Obviously right. triggers a lot. You know, it, 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 it clears up a lot about what might be wrong with, with Annie. Um, I thought it was really interesting that the director, Miguel Sapochnik, changed uh, film stock. It was actually one of the yep. most interesting flourishes that's happened like this that year. like that a lot. And here's what it made me think of. Um, that was the, the 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 way it was shot and the way it looked kind of reminded me of films like Easy Rider and, and, and some other early, like, 70s, mid-70s Hollywood films that were very rebellious and stuff. But now we know when we look back through, throughout, like, sort of social histories of that time that it was an incredibly sexually predatory time period where a lot older yeah. men definitely were very predatory about on younger women. Yeah, and I right, thought that that true. connection, making that visual connection, even if it was subconscious, was really interesting of this sort of Hollywood, Los Angeles uh, tradition of, 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 of sexual assault, more or less. You know, and well, but, right, this idea that free love is not actually Exactly, exactly. And I thought that, that, was, that was really interesting. And the, and the fact, I mean, it was so blatantly pulling, like ripping, ripping Twin Peaks off, as a, a, a bunch of moments of this season have. Um, what did you think of that? that? I'm glad you mentioned that. I thought that was one of the best things in it. And I, and I thought it really was a credit to the direction in that scene, because throughout, and I wrote this in the recap, but, you know, Sapochnik directed Hard Home, which was the incredible episode of Game of Thrones where they, you know, where there's the, the, the fight, the army of the dead. Um, this guy is a talented director, but it was really, once again, a clear reminder of the difference between directing a feature film or having equal creative credit on a TV show, as Kerry Fukunaga did last year, versus coming in as a hired gun. Yeah. Um, because when you come in as a hired gun, I mean, this is what I wrote, your job is to explicate the scene, not really illuminate something deeper that you think you've seen in it, for the most part. You've got to keep the pages moving. Yeah. And so that's why when... Uh, Frank and Ray have guns that, under the table in their crotches that they're pointing at each other, we <laughs> cut to the image of the gun. It's why when Athena, Annie's sister, is like, it's very dangerous there. You're going to be in danger. She's, you know, she's she's practicing her hibachi skills with yes. Chekhov's steak knife. Yeah. Um, that's very, very on the nose, and it's kind of a letdown. So that moment was pretty pretty exciting because it, it suggested there was some visual imagination the thing that i wanted to talk about with this episode actually harkens back to something that you wrote i think a week or two ago in your recap um no i think it was last week and you basically started the recap by saying i don't want to talk about your detective i want to talk about ian urbina's investigative journalism <laughs> in the new york times where he's talking about how um, the global oceans are like this impossible black hole of crime and slavery yeah. and assault and murder and it, these these stories are absolutely horrific. This is journalism at its best, and I really recommend people read it. But what you wrote, and I'm, do you mind if I, I'm just paraphrasing you here, but you're basically like, this sounds like something Nick Pizzolatto would be interested in because it suggests that there is a pervasive evil in the world at the core of the most banal things in our lives. Right. In the, the piece that in the series that came out today, it talks about how fishermen – the, uh, the, the fishermen who are responsible for catching, like, bulk herring that goes into pet food, yeah. right, are generally stolen from their families and chained to boats and forced to work 20 hours a day. Yeah. Pet food. Yeah. 
pet food, Chris. No, so, and that was the other thing so, was that like this was this evil that we're talking about was emanating from a place that's generally a source of of wonder. You know that like well, look at Hollywood, the you mean. look at the ocean. I'm saying the ocean. Oh, the ocean. Like, look at the ocean. It's like this vast, beautiful, unknowable. You love the ocean. Well, I, I mean, <laughs> but what was, what was the classic Randland post you wrote? The sea is dope. Yeah, but I also think California is dope. And you look at California, like, yeah. like there's this evil that lurks in the in the hills right. and, and and everything like that. But but so the I, and I completely agree. And what I was thinking of last night was basically if evil really is, is, does exist in the world. It's important to either give us some emotional stakes in your fictional evil or show us something we've never seen before. Yeah. And I think this show is failing at that because when we got to this orgy and we're told – you know, the, the characters keep saying powerful men, powerful men, powerful men. So when we got there, the, the stand-in for the powerful men, the one who Annie uh, eviscerates, is essentially Foghorn Leghorn. Yeah. Like he is a oil-fat cat who likes to abuse women and talk about buying politicians. Yeah. That is – completely uninteresting similarly all of the other women of the night in that scene were i mean they they got buffed porn stars there was well, there was also, no personality like they, and I, he's got two more episodes and the santa morte thing is sitting right there and i know now because there's only two hours left that it's probably going to get like condensed into like a little like character reads a wikipedia entry but like when the guy when he says to him he's like you're santa muerte you're a gang and he's like we're not a gang and it's like well they're not a gang and they're actually yeah. terrifying, and it's like a death cult, and it, it's the patron saint of of drug traffickers, and it's something. If you guys, I've linked to it a couple of times, but you guys got to check it out. It's pretty fascinating to read about. That is easily would easily be like the most interesting thing about this show if they actually wove it into the show. But instead, it's something Frank blows by on his way to meet another one of Stan's friends, you know, or another one of Stan's, you know, like loved ones, and and then like. I mean, you're talking. You talked about this a lot uh, in your your recap, where you were like, you know, these cops are not actually good cops; they're false detectives. The end. The, the episode ends. It's how it's got this actually rather resonating, you know, like a really resonant emotional moment for Annie. She's like crying about like what she's probably just un- unlocked in her subconscious, and then your boy Paul is like, "Look at these contracts; they have signatures all over them." I know, what an unlikely thing to find on contracts. What did he think? Did he think that they were going to have like wingdings or something on them? Like, <laughs> I, I think he thought they'd be like a flip book of like dirty pictures or something. He's like, these have words. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 and we t- we talked about this on G Chat earlier. Like, it actually doesn't bother us. I think that this entire like black ops super team of dum dums yeah. like, infiltrated this mansion on their no, own, or that the guys left their contracts for their criminal conspiracy in the well, desk like, of a orgy house. But but again, like this was something that I think was intentional and it was botched because yeah. the music was Hitchcocky and it was intended to yeah, to evoke like cinema from the 40s and 50s you know where there would be big bernard Herrmann scores yeah like yes exactly and and, and that's why when paul like peers in the window the criminals are like good job on the conspiracy paul you know (laughs) not paul in this case but probably we sure did take care of frank semyon when he tried to invest his money and And we'll do it we'll do it again i'll just put these on the table now because i'd like to participate in the orgy (laughs) so that was intentional, but you can't just like shave off the show you've been like like Ray's yeah. mustache. You, yeah, yeah. you can't just jump like that. So here's the thing: like it's it's frustrating because I think that you know we, we were six weeks into talking about this, and we were both very optimistic at the beginning, yes. very hopeful. We still like a lot of things in it. We still want to watch crime shows, and I think that there still is somewhere in there is the right crime show. But whether he was too ambitious too high on his own supply or too rushed, frankly, 
to kind of find the right way in, to start the story at the right place, to end the story at the right place, it's kind of it, 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 it's it's kind of falling apart, right? Like, yeah, it's I think not that really the, the, the 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 really good symbol for what you're talking about is a lack of sort of bravery in some in some ways. Uh, Ray doesn't kill Frank, even though that's right. what he has every intention of doing. Ray then goes on a bender that is completely limited to what seems like a couple of hours. And he recovers enough to be sober enough to call his wife and make, like, a very sort of humane decision. And then yes. the next day, while hungover, obviously, is pretty much back to being a virtuous police officer again. Even though yeah, he without... beats that guy's face into leather, you know? Um, he does do that. There's no consequences to anything of that. Like, it's just, it's just like, I want to have this guy do cocaine on television. It's not, this guy's going to go on a bender and it's going to impact the case in X, Y, or Z way. And, and I think that the... I've, I'm actually surprising myself, and I think that you had a couple of weeks like this too, where I, I actually spent some time last night trying to be an apologist the most extreme way possible, basically saying, if this show is about mundanity and bureaucracy and the pervasiveness of sin, then what better way to do it than sort of get distracted by Stan, yeah. like a guy that doesn't matter. But that's pretty third degree, third degree thinking, you know, like that's basically... Yeah. That that's this is that's something you can do in hindsight. Be like, oh no, he did that on purpose. That's it's supposed to be dull and digressive and right. essentially uninteresting. It's we we want to see Paul running around Los Angeles with a with a, a Xerox of a pawn shop picture. Yeah, like and that. every single person he talks to seems to be like, I've seen those diamonds. <laughs> yeah, and again, that sounds like something from uh, an old film noir. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's not a film. Oh, okay, well we've done we've done it, and I I, I hate I, I really don't like being. Well, okay, so the the reason why I. You know, I, I thought that, that that the reason why I did that I brought up the lack of sort of, you know, the true detective's inability to surprise or its inability to trust in the dramatic beats that it lays out. And then it just kind of is constantly going back to zero, constantly going back to zero. Yeah. Is uh, that the other show that we've been talking about a lot recently refuses to do that. And that's Mr. Robot. Yes. And we're coming off of last week we were talking about the, the sort of the sort of drug dream episode that happened, which took up 30 minutes of, of a 45 minute USA show. And yeah. they'd spent most of it with two people on Molly and one person, uh, detoxing from a morphine addiction. And, and we're talking old school Molly where you swallow it in a pill. You don't spray it under your tongue in a, uh, yeah. in, a in a whorehouse. And then this one, uh, this past episode w- continued on the hot streak, I thought. And, I'm trying to figure out what these episodes are. I almost feel like there's like a a way in which I would step out of it and be like, are these like every episode is like this little diorama. And like this one was much more of like a thriller and it was much more video game. Like he had to beat bosses at every level yeah. and stuff. Yeah, was- but the way he beat bosses where he was just like he told that guy that he didn't matter, you know, by using everything that he thinks about himself, he put onto that yeah. person are, is so provocative and 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 just thought it's just so interesting <laughs> How about that it failed? Like, this was the big heist episode, and so far everything has kind of rolled. And, you know, I I love heist movies. I was excited, you know, to see them keep beating... Keep beating bosses and make it to the the, the last level. Then he opens the door, and and, uh, what's-his-name's there? Wellick is there. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it smashes face first into that. And And you're forced to consider how much of their plot and what he's doing is Wellick aware of and is Wellick facilitating. Because there's like that weird thing where he puts the Raspberry Pi uh, 
in a, a thing that's right next to the bathroom, which seems like not particularly secure, you know, and it's <laughs> like it's very everything seems to be easy when it needs to be easy and hard when it needs to be hard. So yes. I'm very curious about how much of this. I mean, obviously, the big question about this show is how much of this stuff is happening in his head. Yeah, well, also, let's let me let me just take a quick digression to apologize because I made an error last week. When we were talking about this show um, when we were talking about the crew of F Society. I said I, I talked about the guy who's part of the crew who helped him detox, who's the actor uh, Ron C. Jones. And I said that that was Eric Dellums, a different actor who okay. was on Homeland last year. And I apologize to both men who are both excellent actors. And I clearly got very confused because both were administering opiates to a protagonist on an hour long <laughs> right. drama series that I liked. So I got so excited that like, oh, what if there's a universal theory of uh, drug trafficking on, on drug, drug trafficking on these shows? Anyway, um, yeah, th- that I, I really think you're getting at something that is particularly good, and I think it's getting people watching episode after episode, which is you can't quite find your footing with Mr. Robot. Yeah. Because shows tend to teach you how to watch them, and they tend to do it by the third episode. Um, you know what's coming. You know what's possible. You know what the stakes are. So that, you know, by the time we were watching Breaking Bad's final seasons, for example, we were shocked constantly, but we weren't truly shocked because we right. knew it was a show that had established that it was okay or likely that outlandish things would happen, that main characters would die. Um, so, it, so like, when, uh, for example, when, I won't give a big spoiler, but when, let's say, Walter White's, a family member discovers what he's doing while seated on the toilet. Mm-hmm. I think we all know what I'm talking about. Yes. Uh, we were totally blown away, not because it happened. We knew that was going to happen eventually, but because, oh, that time is now. Oh, it's go time. So with Mr. Robot, okay, well, the world seems to be, we're, we're in Elliot's perspective. Okay, so this is possible. This isn't possible. Fourth episode says literally anything is possible, and it's either drugs or dreams or both, and I'm not going to tell you. Yeah. And then um, we get to this episode, and everything we thought we knew is not true. Because I had been watching the first few episodes, staring at Christian Slater's performance, watching the faces of the people around him as they didn't react to him at all, thinking, okay, well, he's not real. Right. Suddenly we get to this episode, he bumps into a guy at Starbucks. He gets into a yelling fight with Darlene at the end of the episode. Right. So are those people not real? I don't know. And But that's all happening while Elliot is very much in the background. You know, it's like, is Elliot projecting that that's him? Like, what is going on there? And then I also think that, uh, you know, the, I guess the, the better way I would put what, I, what, what we were both talking about here is that perhaps what the, the show is really achieving is rediscovering even though it's a very serialized plot, rediscovering the joys of episodic television because in any uh, week yeah. and in every episode, it can be anything it wants to be. Yeah. Yeah. At it, 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 this moment, it can be anything it wants to be. and uh, It can just hit one restart deep... every week. I don't yeah, know what I mean, they're going to think... do Thursday. You know, and Wednesday, it's like, I, I have no idea. No, and especially because we thought the season was going in one direction. I mean, they did all this work with the Chinese hackers and, and yep. getting into this place and getting into Steel Mountain and now they're not in there anymore. So now they have to do something else. Yeah. And do you think that you know, one I, of the reasons why this is ha- like this feels the, so new and fresh is that they don't have um, Elliot is such an alienating character in some ways, and there isn't necessarily a audience avatar character surrogate. Yeah. yeah, because even Angela is 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 doing things that I think are very. I mean, she's not in every scene to be like, what's going on. Do you know yes. what I mean? Like, there's not a Jack there, like from Lost. There's not a I'm I'm just going along for the ride, and I'm going to be the audience being incredulous about certain it's, things. Or it's it's not just that. There's no one maintaining a floor. So the Angela character 
I thought in the pilot was the closest thing to predictable that we had yeah. in that, oh, they're childhood friends. Oh, they have feelings, but he's in love with her, but she's with this doofus. And, you know, and so she'll be the good person that he runs to and, and you know, and not part of his nightlife. Um, that got blown out of the water in episode three. Sure. And I, it, I'm grateful for it. So we actually don't know the way they relate to each other at all. Um, you know, I had I had Rami Malek on and I always say it wrong. And he, he actually stopped me. It's 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 Rami Malik, like Terrence Malik. You know, okay. Very very common reference. It's a guy I know on the Fire Island ferry. Anyway, uh, he was like, uh, he said that good friends with Stan from True Detective. Very good friends. They're just out there circling Long Island Sound. Uh, Rami told me that that Sam Esmail, the creator, said that once if we get them through episode four, we've got them. Hmm. Because even he knew that that was kind of aggressive, but. Right. No one was stopping them. Right. No one was stopping them from doing it. And so he was excited to do it. And I don't know. It's interesting. I mean, it, there are so many different ways to write and run a show. And clearly, and I hope we'll get a chance to talk to him at some point, but clearly Sam Esmail is a guy who delights in confounding the audience, delights in knowing more than everyone else and, and controlling it. I think Pizzolatto likes knowing more than the audience. I mm-hmm. think he definitely likes constructing something. I think he maybe likes to overconstruct it. Um, there isn't a feeling of delight. I think oh, that's no. the main difference. You yeah. know, I mean, I think that that's what McConaughey and Fukunaga brought to that show last season. Yeah, I, I, it, it was. They were the panache. Yeah, it was. Yeah, they were. They were stunting. Yeah, they were. They were. They were. There was flourished everything they did, and and so even if there weren't jokes, there was the extremity of their performance and their direction, which is a positive thing, and. You know, I'm sorry we're circling back to True Detective, but like there there have been people who are like, oh, you don't know who Stan is, you're missing it. You need to pay closer attention. And it's like this isn't homework. You yeah. know, like the, the, it needs to be enjoyable week to week. It, I, I I reject the idea that a TV show is something you suffer through for eight weeks, and at the end you're like, oh, I get it now. I don't even it think it's great. a matter of like you didn't see Stan. I saw Stan. It's just that they, <laughs> I, I just. The idea that he dies in episode two or three, and now four episodes later, it's like now we're mourning Stan's death. Wasn't that like three months ago? Like, I mean, yeah, but that's the other thing. It was sixty-six days since yeah, the massacre, and then, and then furthermore, like the same can be said. Like when they brought Blake up as like Blake is somehow like a big villain this season. I was Blake's like, running women. I was like, like why is this? Why is he letting this thread play out? Like, just x Blake out. We're not interested in Blake. Yeah, we're not interested in Blake. You know, I, I was interested in the bird mask. I was interested in Ben Casper. I was interested in the mayor. Yeah. I was interested in the mayor's crazy kid. Yeah. Stick stick with what's working. Um, Too much stuff. He, he, like, he just, he had, like, I feel like he, like, really set out his, like, wares and didn't, like, arrange them at all. Yeah, whereas, whereas in Mr. Robot, I feel like it's, like, here's the five things you need to know. But and it's almost other- weirdly dumbed down. Like, it's, like, evil, good, yeah. you know, perception, reality. But here's the other thing about Mr. Robot that I really, really am appreciating. Um, people are psyched about this show. Yeah. Like, people, you know, I, this is obviously a small sample size. I, I, I don't think that, you know, TV, internet, blogosphere, or TV, Twitter is necessarily representative. Certainly my mentions aren't representative of very much. But I don't remember the last time people were this excited about talking about recommending the show. And it, and it, and it goes beyond questions of of good or bad because there's some there's some things on mr robot that are like okay or like that's a little much or i have no idea what's where it's going but there's there's a fun in that there's an adventure in that that i feel like we've we've gotten we've gotten away from you know the last time we talked about a show being just i think the last time we talked about a new drama series just being kind of fun 
was Better Call Saul, which is a weird comparison, yeah. especially because those guys are such professionals. They can calibrate their show to carve out also, a fun it, hour. Better Call Saul had such an incredible amount of baggage, good and bad, coming into it that I think right. that it, it, wasn't, was like, it wasn't a surprise. You know, a, a good example of um, – of the differences that we're talking about between Tr- Trudy and, and Mr. Robot right now. Um, so that tossed off scene in Mr. Robot where uh, he basically denigrates the guy who's giving him the tour, but then the yeah. woman comes up and is like, I'll, I'll be escorting you out basically. And they can't find anything about her. Yeah. And then, so they yeah. send the one text message that like they think might work, which is the, it's, it's me. You need to call me the worst the thing that we feared the most is true or whatever yeah, it was has happened. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, it's a, such a small contained moment and it's probably not going to ever come back. You know what I mean? That woman in that scene, but that's an example of a dramatic flourish inside of a scene that doesn't need to be like, and now six episodes later, that woman is the most yeah. important person on the show yeah. or let's like spend an inordinate amount of time with it. But it speaks about what these guys are doing and, people's vulnerabilities to information even if they work hard not to have information online let's flip it one more way too what the the f society team is just trying they're just like reaching they're scrambling Mm -hmm. not a single person in that group as far as i remember has looked into the camera and said am i a good person no am i a bad person it's behavior they are behaving and there are consequences of that behavior. I do think and at it, some point that one of them is going to be like, you see these contracts, they've got signatures all over them. <laughs> they probably will. Do you see these AOL contracts from 1994? <laughs> hey, before we move on, let's take a break in today's podcast to talk about our sponsor, SeatGeek. It's the best way for fans to save money on sports and concert tickets. SeatGeek aggregates tickets from every major ticket site online and puts them all in one place to make comparison shopping for tickets easy. It's basically like Kayak.com for sports and concert tickets. SeatGeek also has technology called DealScore that calculates what every ticket in the building is worth. Good deals are represented as big green dots on the map, and bad deals are shown as small red dots. So it's easy to see at a glance which tickets will save you the most money. For a limited time only, use promo code HOLLYWOOD in the SeatGeek app or website and get a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. Again, to redeem your promo code and save $20, use HOLLYWOOD, like the name of our podcast, to save on your first SeatGeek purchase today. Um, we should wrap up soon, but I, I, you know, I never pass up a chance to check in with you when you get a chance to go to the movies. Um, I went you, to the cinema. You went and saw Trainwreck. I did see Trainwreck. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. A little little date night. The movies. Uh, it's a great date movie, I guess. Sure. Yeah. Happy ending. Romance lives. Sure. Um, well, that was sort of my problem with it. Yeah. This is the thing. I, I I almost don't want to talk about it because. I feel like we've been we've been bagging on stuff a little bit. I I really was psyched for this movie because I like almost every single person involved in it. Right. I like Amy Schumer. Um, I really like Bill Hader. I mean, I, we're not going to go down the list. Who's that basketball player that was in it? You write about him on the internet sometimes too. Yeah, it was uh, Mario uh, Ellie. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I remember him. Uh, the Great Spur. Um, but I, I didn't like the movie. Like it was very funny. At times, mm-hmm. and there was, the, but I think I'm kind of over the Apatow shtick. I, I'm sort of, and it's not, and, and there's two things that I'm over, and I think we can talk about them. There's the there's the bigger one that you want to talk about. I think in terms of the the way they all sort of break serious and you know restore the universe to a sort of moral. Yeah, order. I just think they're kind of crypto conservative. It's not crypto anymore. Yeah, like 
like, I think this. Pour out your beers. You better get better. Like, you better, like, clean up your act or you won't find a husband or a wife. You know, like, it's just the same movie every time. Like, get rid of your bond. Get it it together and grow up. And tragedy is real. Yeah. And I almost felt like I would rather have just had jokes. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, like, like. Bridesmaids actually managed to pull this off. Like Bridesmaids had the serious third act a yeah. little bit where she made a lonely cupcake, but it was still pretty much pure funny throughout the whole thing. And then these movies come to a screeching halt. But actually the thing that I was having trouble with, and I wonder what you think about this, is that there is definitely and this is not a new tradition. This is I, I, I don't I can't I'm not a cinephile to the degree where I could name directors who used to do this. Maybe Cassavetes did a version of this, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But the Apatow style, and it's definitely become pervasive, is, you know, we'll, we'll find the movie on set and then we'll find it again in post. So the script is like a nice guide, but we're going to have like Paula Pell and other comedians sitting there yelling better jokes, yelling better takes. Adam McKay works this way, too, with Anchorman. You know, and so it, we're, we'll let our we'll do improv takes. We're going to let things get outlandish. And then we're just going to film a ton of stuff. And then when we then we'll, you know, we'll break and we'll sit in the editing suite and we'll be like, oh, that scene with LeBron was pretty good. We'll put that in there. Or, like, that scene was dirtier than we thought. We'll put that in there. And it just feels kind of like, well, we made a movie. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the, I, I kind of miss, I kind of miss, like, I wanted a kind of a scripted movie. Look at the story. Like, there were scenes in this movie. Yeah, it's like, clearly, it makes me, like, wait, like, long for Ghostbusters or, like. Well, you're in luck, Chris. No, but I mean, coming. I don't mean Ghostbusters. I mean, like, I'm trying to think of, like, what would a better, I mean, it makes me long for Nora Ephron movies that, like, had stories you know what i mean and actually had scenes and like people didn't speak over each other's lines or like change emotional tone midstream because like they were doing yeah. a joke you know like yeah and like having funny people is great and no one has better access to funny people than apatow yeah. so you have um john glazier and and uh and and randall park like just in the office with, with tilda swinton by the way so I, that was inspired casting yeah. uh, also very, very accurate depiction of how magazine journalism works Absolutely. in the 21st century. Absolutely. There's only century. four people. <laughs> and do you know how I got the job at Grandland? Do you remember this? Like, I had written a story for another website, and it, they passed on it. So I printed the story out, and I flew to Los Angeles, <laughs> and I handed Bill Simmons and Dan Fearman the story in an envelope and then sat with them while they read it. Right. And they were just like, there's good stuff here. And then they published it in a magazine the next day in time for my romantic. It was romantic. called Vanity Fair, which is actually located back in New York. So, yeah. <laughs> I do care a lot about accuracy. But, no, but you, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, that – I. but then maybe the joke's on me because, once again, like, every time we talk about movies, I'm like, if only this was a better movie as opposed to, you know, John Cena was pretty funny. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think that I, – I actually I, – there's there was nothing particularly, like I, – I just think that this film felt like I – Mapitao did an interview afterwards where somebody was asking him about like how long it is and why his films tend to run on a little bit. And he was like, I don't understand that criticism. The people who say that will go home and watch nine episodes of Breaking Bad back to back. I'm like, but those are expertly constructed narratives <laughs> that are supposed to be digested in hour blocks. And people yeah. are so am- amazed by one hour of it that they can't wait to do a second hour. Whereas in Judd Apatow land, like, it's like, I'm just like, you just didn't cut this part, which was just bad. Yeah, like the the part with Matthew Broderick and Chris Everett and Marv Albert. Yeah, or just like no even reason. like it's like okay, you can have the Colin Quinn has MS plot line and Brie Larson is mad about him and like First all, all the stuff with Brie, wait, but like then just, you have gotta, to dial back one part of it whether it's the work stuff or the romance stuff. It can be we, like we got to pause and say that Brie Brie Larson is on the wall because Free Brie. she's she is so good in everything. Yeah. And 
I forgot to talk to Rami Malek about. She's his great role in the Gambler, in the greatest Brie Larson movie, Short Term Twelve. I let's just put this aside for a second. She's in the Gambler, right? Where she like has to say some stuff to Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, she's in this movie and she sells it. She's such she a sure good does. actress. I was like, she really cares about racist old Colin Quinn being washed by Method Man in the nursing home. Yeah. She really cares about it. Like, I was invested in the emotional relationship of these sisters. And I'm like, I went on IMDb, and I'm like, one of our greatest young actresses, like, she should have a pick of the litter, whatever she wants to do. And it, the first headline on our IMDb page is, Brie Larson in talks to join Kong prequel Skull Island. <laughs> this is a 20... This, and this is not like... We're talking about someone who doesn't fit paradigms of Hollywood beauty, and so she can't get cast. She's a 25-year-old blonde former, like, Disney star or whatever she was in. Skull Island, Chris. (laughs) Kong prequel. The the Kong universe is rich. (laughs) It's just, we keep coming to this thing, and so I think we need to come up with a new way to talk about movies the two times a year we talk about movies, which is, we talked about Ant-Man. I was like, man, I would really like to see a solid B-grade heist movie Mm -hmm. without a comic book origin story and in this i'm like okay a movie about sisters in different directions with a with a sick dad like and even with lebron james too fine (laughs) but there's no middle ground for it it's either you know uh an appetite can you imagine if they were like two sisters with a sick dad who happened to be friends with lebron (laughs) a new film by john appetow but not like anything about her being an alcoholic men's magazine writer with a like a boyfriend who does knee surgeries it's just like lebron is just somehow involved (laughs) like Yes, maybe LeBron just announced that movie deal. Maybe that's what he wants to do. He yeah, wants to do I'm sure it's on Space style. Jam too. I think it's probably to remake Husbands. He wants to do like small bore films. He was good. You know, yeah, he was pretty sure. good. Yeah. John John Cena was good. He, um, he seemed to have good timing. Yeah, John Cena was good. He he can, and, he he needs to get like a, a like a good action movie in which he plays like a cool character. I mean, I know he's done But don't you think like he yeah. he had like a like a uh, what's who was the star of uh was it Gina Carano? Is that her name? The star of Soderbergh's Haywire? Yeah. And that was the last time, like, there was someone from the world of, like, mixed martial arts. Well, he's a wrestler, right? Movie. I have no idea who he is. I'm going to be honest with you right now. <laughs> I, I, I thought he's he was he's actually like, Mario Ellie. Just, that's his stage he, name. Is is John Cena. Yeah. Does he go in the octagon? <laughs> no, he's a wrestler. Quick follow up. Yeah. What's the, what's the octagon? <laughs> That'll be next week's show, Andy. Uh, we'll, we'll wrap up here. Thanks for listening. Um, we'll be back next week to talk about the penulti- penultimate episode of uh, True Detective and much more. You don't want to talk about the octagon? No, I need to go. I have to start my stand tumbler. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> All right, great job, Ransky. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on podcast.